to take your Bibles this morning and turn open to the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew chapter 13. If you're using a pew Bible there, it is on page 818 as we continue to work our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to skip over to verses 18 through 23, where Jesus gives the explanation of this parable this morning. So Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9, and then 18 through 23. Let's do this. Let's pray before we open God's Word this morning. Father in heaven, as children, we come before you. Said in the scriptures, we're like children that don't know when to come in out of the rain. We're in need of your divine guidance. We're in need of you speaking to us in the midst of this world. And we confess that we but children, we have childlike minds, unformed, uninformed. We have hearts that easily go astray. We have affections that are not rightly stirred. We have wills that are not so inclined. So we pray that as a gracious Father that you would speak to us in tenderness and compassion. That you would, as it were, lisp to us, speak to us in a way as a father does with small children in a way that they can understand. We are in need of understanding this morning. Speak to us, we pray, by your eternal word. May it reach the darkest recesses of our hearts, every bend and every corner of our mind. Stir us to give you glory in heaven, a Father who cares so deep. We pray this in the strong name of Christ Jesus, the living word, and by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and then verses 18 through 23. This is the holy and errant word of God. The same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. 
Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. This is a familiar passage to most of you who have been in church for any period of time. It's a familiar parable. With that being said, uh, it is something that we have to pay a little more attention to and have to give a little more leaning to as we listen to it because it's something that we know so well as the text itself will prove to you this morning. Matthew 13 provides a kind of transition in the book of Matthew. Uh, We get to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to see that Jesus begins to teach, and he begins to preach in parables almost always from here on out. Uh, We'll see that especially in this chapter here in Matthew 13. We'll also see that he begins to preach in the open air instead of going into synagogues. And next week, what I want to do is I want to tackle what it looks like or why it is that Jesus preaches in parables. Why is it that he preaches in this way? But this week, what I want to do is start with looking at this very first parable because this parable serves as an, as an introduction to all the rest of the parables and is in many ways primary because of that. I think if we were to... Uh, name this parable ourselves, we would probably have named it the parable of the soils, because that's what Jesus is focused upon, these four different types of soils. But Jesus himself names the parable in verse 18 when he said, and he then, that the parable of the sower, so he calls it the parable of the sower. But the focus is on these four soils. And these four soils stand as a a type or a figure of four types of heart response to the preached or the taught word. There are four common heart responses. I think Calvin is right, though, when he looks at this parable, he says these aren't the only responses that can happen to the preached word or the taught word, but these are the four most common responses to the taught word, or the preached word. And as we'll see next week, when we're looking at parables, one of the reasons that Jesus speaks in parables is so that you and I may have a picture in our mind and we may place ourselves in the midst of that picture, that we might enter into the story itself. 
So this morning, as we hear this parable of the sower, this parable of the soils, you and I should be asking the question, what is my heart response to the word preached and the word taught? What type of soil is here? Maybe even more particularly this morning, what is the soil of my heart this morning to this preached word this morning? This passage begins with Matthew pointing us back to what has already occurred. He, he says that same day. Well, what same day? Well, we have to go back to the beginning of chapter 12 to see what happened this same day. And you'll remember back at the beginning of chapter 12, Jesus had just cast out of a demon, a demon out of a man that was demon-possessed. And when the crowds had seen it, they began asking the question, well, is this the son of David? That is, has the kingdom come? Is this the king, the Messiah, that was promised to come? Remember all the way back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3.15 when God promises that there would be a seed that's born of the woman that would come and crush the head of the serpent. And then we see that promise in the rest of the scriptures. Like this morning, we reference with Abram. God promised Abram there should be a seed born of him. That would bless all the nations. This Messiah, this king who would come into the world and save his people. Could this be the one? The Pharisees don't like that Jesus is getting that question. And so they say, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. He is not this king. This is not the kingdom coming in. Rather, what Jesus is doing is he's casting out this demon by Satan. And you remember Jesus' response is a house divided against itself cannot stand. That is, I am the king. I've come into the world and the kingdom is present. This is the context for him now teaching and preaching this parable. Matthew tells us that the crowd gathered around him. He is by the sea again, and as is, Matthew says, a very large crowd of people that are gathered there to hear him. There were all sorts of people in that crowd, and it seems meaningful, at least in this text, because of the nature of Jesus' teaching. Every single person in that crowd is to be addressed by this word that he is preaching, just as every single person in this room is to be addressed by the word that is preached this morning. He tells a parable, a parable of a sower who is sowing seed in a field. And it would have been a very common image for people in the ancient world at this time. Maybe not so much for us in 21st century urban America. But the picture would have been that was formed in their mind that there was a sower. There would have been a man or a woman that had a bag or a pouch on their side, and in that bag or in that pouch would have been a bushel of seed. And they would have walked along as they went along, reaching their hand into that pouch and, and casting the seed and throwing the seed. That's the imagery that Jesus is painting. Jesus tells us in the explanation that the seed is the word. His word. Our first point 
this morning is kingdom work is accomplished by the king's word. Kingdom work is accomplished by the king's word. Apostle Paul understood this when he's writing in Romans 10. He will say this, but how are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. The word. Jaya Packer once said it this way. He said, Holy Scripture is God the Father preaching God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. This is how the sovereign God of the universe, of heaven and earth, has chosen to work. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, this one true God has chosen to work by His Word. He could have chosen many other ways. He could have chosen great movies. He could have chosen great testimonies, even great music, but He didn't. It's by His Word that He has chosen to produce fruit in the kingdom. Jesus will say in verse 37, The one who sows the good seed, that is the sower, is the Son of Man. But, but in, a, in a broader sense, in a very real sense, when you and I are preaching the Word, when we're teaching the Word, when we're sharing the Word and evangelizing with the Word, when we're discipling with the Word, we are sowing the Word. We are functioning as sowers underneath that great sower, the Lord Jesus Christ. If we want to see the kingdom of God in our midst, if we want to see Christ exalted, if we want to see the fruitfulness of our Savior, it will not come by teaching or preaching the traditions of men or shaping things according to our own imaginations about what will work in this culture. It will not come by comedy in the pulpit. It will not come by hallmark moments in the pulpit. It comes by the Word. He works by His Word. Without that focus, we simply labor in vain. Therefore, the Word is to be at the center of what we do for the kingdom. No Word, no fruit. The Word is to be the center of our worship. The Word is what we are to share with our neighbors and our friends and our loved ones. The Word is what we are to disciple our children in and to share with them. When we send out our missionaries, we send them out with Word-centered ministries. Now, there's a place for mercy ministries, but they servely, simply serve as opening the door for Word ministries. Because it's by His Word that He's chosen to work. Notice that the sower sows the word among all. He scatters it. He, he scatters as much of the word as he's able among as much of the world as he is able. And as we 
We want the word to go out as far and wide as possible because the sower wants the word to go out as far and wide as possible. We want all people encountering it because God works by his word. Sending people out to preach the word. Sending a young man to Ann Arbor to share the word. Sending missionaries to the ends of the earth to share the word. is not just a form of missions, not just a part of ministry. It is missions. It is ministry. God works by his word. Kingdom work is accomplished by the king's word. So we attend to the word. Second, look at the four types of soil in this parable. There's the path, there's the rocky ground, there's the thorns, and there is the good soil, each representing different responses, different type of heart responses to the Word of God. And you notice there are different responses, though the sower remains sa the same and the, the seed remains the same. Though the sower is unchanged and though the seed is unchanged, the responses change. Let's look at the first soil. The sower sows the word along the path, Jesus says. This is what I would call the callous listener. This is the person who is very hard to the word of God. Jesus says that word is sown, it is sown along the path, and as it is sown along the path on that hard ground, birds of the air come and they immediately snatch that seed that word and they steal it away and Jesus says that those birds of the air represent Satan who immediately comes and takes the word away from them. Think about it this time paths crisscrossed through fields and around fields and you remember we saw this earlier in Matthew as Jesus and the disciples were walking through the fields on that Sabbath day and they were they were grabbing grain, heads of grain, and the disciples were eating those heads of grain. There would have been paths all around these fields, and, and they would have been a path that travelers regularly traversed, and so it would have been packed down. It would have been firm ground, hard ground. This is the soil that represents those who hear the word of God, and yet it does not phase them. It has no effect upon them. Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are cold. That's often the imagery that's used in the scriptures. Like a, a frozen block of ice, you can't penetrate it. And so when the word is cast there, Satan just comes and he quickly plucks it away. It can't take any root. There are many ways in which we allow ourselves to reflect the soil. There are two that I especially want to address this morning. There are many others. These are the two that I think are the most prominent reasons that Satan is able to steal the, the word from us and that we manifest these kind of hard, frozen hearts. One is that Satan is often able to snatch the word right away because the person listening is indifferent. It's just a casual attitude to the word preached or the word shared. It's a kind of indifference. Ah, maybe listening, but thinking, I, I, 
I got time to deal with that word from the Bible or that word from Christ. I'll get to it at some point. And there's just a casualness in reception of it. We listen, but we don't receive. Just an indifference. So very dangerous. Every week as we sit here under the preached word, I try and remind myself of that even as I'm preaching the word. And I often pray it for you before I come and preach the word. Is Lord, help me, help them to listen attentively. Not to be casual. This is your word that is going out. Not to have a cold heart where it is turned away through indifference. The second common way that we are a callous listener is self-righteousness. We think we don't need anyone or anything else. There's a self-sufficiency here. I'm my own man. My own woman. We have no desire to receive the word because we know that it means loss of control. We know that it means conviction of sin. We know that it demands holiness. And we want nothing to do with such a call upon our hearts and upon our lives. So very dangerous. remind you and remind myself that, you know, Satan would rather have you here on Sunday morning listening casually and callously to the word preached than he would have you at home in bed. Because he knows if he's got you here, there are many who will sit through a morning Sunday service and They'll listen to the sermon and they'll sing the songs and they'll walk out and they'll walk out feeling like they've checked the religious box of the week. They walk out with a degree of contentment and a degree of peace. And yet nothing has been received. Their heart has remained hard. Oh, the danger of not allowing the word to search us and take up root within us. There's a battle that happens in this room every single week. And you're in the midst of it. There are warring parties for your heart and your soul and your mind every single week in this room. Every single day, as you sit before the Word and your private devotions and you pray, there is a battle. Will you allow it to go deep? Or will you just go through the religious motion? Treat it casually, coldly. Callous or callous listener is one who is hard to the word. The second soil is that of rocky ground. This is the cosmetic response, what I would call the cosmetic response. 
This picture is not of rocky soil and that there are all kinds of rocks on top of the ground, but rather that the top soil layer is very small and very limited. And once you break through that top soil layer, it hits bedrock. There is hard rock underneath. It only has to barely break the surface. This is a person who is superficial in response to the word. They're not like the callous person who Jesus first speaks of. There's not hardness there on the surface. They receive the word. They, they receive it, he says, with real enthusiasm. But it's a, a superficial reception. It looks good, but it only looks good on the outside. It, it's purely cosmetic. Jesus explains this in verse 21. He says he has no root in himself. It's just a temporary, superficial faith. And when the trials and when the persecutions come, they immediately fall away. It doesn't go deep. I was getting ready this morning and looking over my outline for the sermon and was thinking of this when I was in when I was in high school, I was on our JV football team, we had this, this little running back. He was just a little guy. He weighed all of 115 pounds, probably wet. Uh, but he was, he was quick. He was fast. And he could turn on a dime. And I was a lineman uh, in high school. Uh, I was the smallest guy on the line at that time. I weighed about 175 pounds, and I think the rest of the line in our sophomore year probably weighed 240 and above. It was a pretty big line for sophomores in high school. And I remember this running back, he was just self-assured. Uh, he was full of enthusiasm and primarily enthusiasm about himself. He would let you know how great he was. I remember we were in a game one day, and he had run off a run of about, I don't know, 15 or 20 yards, and he came back to the huddle just strutting. And he looked around that huddle, and he said, I am so good. I am so good, I could run without a line. And I remember we didn't say a word to we just looked at each other and winked, went around the huddle. And that next play, when the quarterback gave the signal, the ball was hiked, and we all did a little Perrier and just stood sideways. And that little 115-pound guy was nailed by about six big boys. And none of us helped him off the ground. Remember, we were laughing when we got back to the huddle and he came limping back. And he said, oh, I need you. I need you. Such enthusiasm. Protection allows there to be some security. When that protection allows some, some beasts to come through. It 
enthusiasm can quickly deteriorate and quickly disappear. If it was a good illustration, it would have been that he took his helmet and he walked off the field that day and said he was done. Because that's what Jesus is picturing. Great enthusiasm, like maybe December 8th, 1941, after that attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, an army recruiter goes out and he is looking for brave young men that want to join the fight and all kinds of young men want to be soldiers. And they sign up. But the real test of whether you want to be a soldier is when the bullets are whizzing by. When your metal is being tested. Jesus is saying, as easily as they spring up, so as easily they fall away. It is a shallow acceptance of the words. Many feel safe because they've walked an aisle, or because they've raised their hand, or because they've prayed a prayer, or because they've had some warm sensation in their chest, but they are possibly even further away from Christ than they were before. Because they think they are in the faith. When it's but temporary, the root must go deeper. It must bury its way into the heart. In such danger if that's not the case. I think about how many listen to sermons with delight. Only because they like to judge sermons. They like to sit over sermons and place them under a microscope and see, are these sermons true to the text? Or they think about somebody else in the room. Oh, they need to hear that sermon. They find delight in the preaching of the sermon in the moment, but it is just shallow. They don't allow it to go in. It gives them a little warmness in the moment takes no root. It doesn't penetrate, as James said in chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. I was in Asia a few weeks ago and teaching at that seminary. I was teaching one day on the word of God, and in a break, one of the young students came up to me and he said through an interpreter, he said, it really seems like you delight in Christ. I said, oh, yeah. I delight in Christ. There is, there's nothing of greater delight that you can find. He said, I don't think I delight in I asked him, I said, well, what do, you, what do you really love? His answer was interesting. He said, I love sermons. I said, well, then you take those sermons that speak of Christ. And the word as you read it and you're praying and you turn over in your mind the glories of Christ and the goodness of Christ and person of Christ and you pray to God when you're in your private study and you say God give me greater delight in Christ when you read the word in private you say God give me greater delight in Christ 
said to me, I don't read the word and I don't pray. I said, why don't you read the word and why don't you pray? He said, I don't like to read the word and I don't like to pray. And I said to him, you're listening to a lot of sermons, but you're not applying anything. He said, you're right. And I said, my guess is it's because you don't like to apply. He said, you're right. The sermons we hear, we don't seek to apply. Warm us in the moment. The roots don't go deep. Such a man like that will fall away trial has come, and they will come. They'll fall away because the roots don't run deep. The pressure will come. It's not a matter of if tribulation comes, as Jesus says, but when tribulation or persecution comes. The metal of our faith will be tested. It must be. This is part of God's refining process, and it's part of God's confirming process to us. Every Christian will discover how deep the roots of their faith reach in the toughest of times. I have a fear. My fear is this. Is that when we are sharing the word with people, when we are evangelizing, when we are preaching, we're not telling people that tough times will come. We hold out to them the promises of Christ, of hope and love and peace, and rightfully so. Oh, these are the gifts of the gospel. But the same one who evangelized by saying, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, is the same one who said, any of you who would come after me must pick up his cross. If I suffered, surely you shall suffer. If they persecuted me, surely you shall be persecuted. But so many aren't ready. They aren't ready for the trials, and they think somehow that God is abandoning them because they weren't warned that the trials are coming. Oh, that root's got to be deep. It's got to be deep because persecution and troubles and trials come. Necessarily so. The superficial cosmetic response is a house that is built on sand and it will not endure the storms. It can't. The third soil is found in verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew and and up they came and they choked them. Christ says in verse 22 that this is the one who hears the word but cares for the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is what I would call the confused heart. This is the person that is distracted in their living. The confused heart. I think of this, I always think of that epitaph 
that is there in Paul's writings in Timothy. I think the most discouraging epitaph in all of the scripture. He says of Demas, Demas who had walked with Paul and been in the inner circle of Paul and sat under the ministry of Paul and labored alongside of Paul. Paul can write of Demas and he can say, Demas in love with this present world has abandoned me and gone to Thessalonica. All these benefits, Demas. You fell in love with the present world. He abandons Paul. By inference, is abandoning Christ. Jesus says in Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He needs to say that because there is a real temptation, a temptation we all know. There is this constant pull to simply add Christ's kingdom to other things we're seeking. But that's a divided heart, and a divided heart will not stand even as a divided kingdom will not stand. And so, like a garden, we have to tend to the garden of our hearts. We have to root out the the weeds and the thorns that grow up there, constant, continual tending. Because if you ignore the garden of your heart for a few days or a few weeks or a season, the weeds will take over. And you'll notice that he says they're thorns. Or in the other Gospels, he will talk about them being weeds. And weeds and thorns, they just they grow gradually, almost imperceptibly. You don't even notice they're coming up. They're coming up with the good fruit, and eventually they, they take it over. They strangle the life out of it. You can't both feed and stay alive. One will crowd out the other. Be various things. The entangling weeds of money or wealth or popularity or comfort or happiness, of alcohol, of control, of success. You stopped me after the service and said it can be busyness. I agree. A number of things are countless. I was reminded of this years ago. Uh, I was actually getting ready to preach the same parable from the Gospel of Mark when I was ministering in North Carolina and it was that week and I was in between appointments and I stopped to get lunch. So I just stopped and got a sandwich and I decided I would just eat in my car between the appointments but I wanted to sit for a little bit so I pulled my car into this empty parking lot and I backed up against the building and sat looking out at this lawn the parking lot belonged to the Legion Hall. I was looking out on this lawn, what had once obviously been a park on the Legion Hall's property. But now it was gated, it was locked, it was closed, and, and all the play equipment was rusted over, and there were weeds growing over everything. 
while I was sitting there thinking about this, preaching this text, I got a knock on my window. A man had emerged from the Legion Hall and had been a little nervous about me sitting in my car in front of the Legion Hall. So he said, can I help you with something? I said, no, sir, I'm just here to eat my lunch. He said, well, don't sit here too long. I said, yes, sir. By the way, it looks like this used to be a really beautiful park. He said, oh, it, it was. He said, you know, what's happened over the years is the men of the Legion have gotten older and their children have moved out of the home. And as the children moved out of the home and we all grew older, we just haven't been tending to the park. As I looked at it, it just sat there empty and rusted and locked. Just a few years, rust and weeds had driven laughter and joy from that place. Just a few moments. Just a few moments of neglect and the weeds of sin will drive joy and laughter and faith from your hearts. It doesn't take much. Just a few moments of indulgence, just a little slumber, just slight indifference and sin will squeeze the word from your heart. You have to tend to your heart. Have to tend to it. It will grow cold and dead and lifeless without you tending to it. You want to receive that word. It's like mammon from heaven for you. you. You want to feed upon it. You know that it is from a holy God speaking to his people. You know it is a gift. And you want as much of it as you can take and you want it planted as deeply as it will go. Because you know that in this word is life. And you want life abundantly. So you feast upon it. You don't just casually hear it. You don't just pass it off. You don't just shallowly receive it. You want it deep in you. You meditate on it. You search your heart with it. It becomes, like the psalmist says to you, sweeter than honeycomb. You meditate upon it day and night. Because this is your heavenly Father speaking to you. This is your Savior ministering to you. This is the spirit that indwells you, conforming you to the likeness of your Savior by it in you. Love that word. Tend the garden of your heart with it. You want to be that fertile soil. This word is deeply planted. Notice in this parable that there are all kinds of enemies that will try to keep this from you. There's Satan, 
thorns, there are weeds, there are rocks. I mean, three-fourths of the seed that is thrown out in this parable comes to no fruit. It would seem rather discouraging. But the parable ends on a very encouraging note because the fourth soil, it not only bears Jesus says it bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Now at this time in agriculture, if you've gotten a return of 8 or 10 fold on a seed that you planted, that would have been miraculous and wonderful. Jesus takes it to astronomical proportion. The seed that he casts out, his word produces 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. That encourages me as a pastor. Encourages me as someone who preaches week in and week out because I'm never quite sure what's happening in this room. I don't know what's going on in your heads. I even less know what's going on in your hearts. I have no clue whether 98% of you will walk out of this room unaffected by this word. I don't know. I find great encouragement in this. I guess 2% of you in this room could receive the word, and the increase could be 100 fold. 100 fold. And outpaced every single heart in this room. That is a great encouragement you minister to your children and you sow the word. That's great encouragement to you as you minister to people in your workplace and you evangelize and share the word. You say, I've been rejected by a hundred people in my workplace. All it takes is one hundredfold. You sow the word among your neighbors and community groups and as you're discipling, as you're encouraging, as you're doing men's ministry and women's ministry and youth ministry and children's ministry, one can produce a hundredfold. Praise be to God. Let's look at this fourth type of soil just a little closer. This is what I would call the convinced heart. A person who is fruitful in response to the word. People who are good soil are engaged. They're not just listening to the word. They're engaged with the word. They understand, Jesus says, as they hear. There is meaning in the word that's preached to them. They understand that there's meaning of that word for them. They understand it and they want it applied to them. It's fascinating, the the language Jesus uses here because it's in a verb tense that speaks of ongoing. It just, they receive the word. They understand the word and then they bear fruit by the word. They recognize the word that they've heard. They listen to that word. They receive that word. They understand that word and they bear fruit by that word. And then they listen to the word, they receive the word, they understand the word, and they 
bear fruit by that word. And they again listen to the word and receive the word and understand the word and bear fruit by that word. It's just a continual cycle for the Christian in good soil. It's a word for you and you're bearing fruit by that word. If you're not bearing fruit, you're not good soil. If you're bearing fruit, you're good soil. Well, what fruit? Well, surely the fruit of the Spirit is in mind here. Bearing the fruit of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. One would expect to find those. You'd also expect to find prayerfulness, and mercy, and Humility and courage and love for neighbors and love for brothers and sisters in Christ and love for the lost and respect for parents and worship in our lives and love for the Bible and love for gathering with God's people and love for serving and love for preaching and quick to forgive and quick to grant forgiveness. And then you would expect to see those things and more increasing. More and more fruit. More and more fruitfulness as that word is hid deeper and deeper in our hearts. You know you've received the word of God when you evidence the fruit of God. No fruit, no deep root. As J.C. Ryle said, there is no part of the whole parable more important than this. We must never be content with a barren orthodoxy and a cold maintenance of correct theological views. We must not be satisfied with clear knowledge, warm feelings, and a decent profession. We must see to it that the gospel we profess to love produces positive fruit in our hearts and lives. This is real Christianity. Real Christianity. Three quick applications. Know that the Christian life is more than just a moment of warm feelings or sitting in church or hearing a sermon. It is a life of fruitfulness. So you search your heart. Examine your life. Do you see fruitfulness? Do you see evidence of the fact that the word has been implanted in your heart and out of the overflow of your heart is coming fruit to the glory of God. Am I bearing fruit in keeping with what I read or what I heard in the Word? When I go through my week after Sunday, when I come to the close of that week and I look back on the week, have I taken the Word that I heard preached and applied it to my life throughout the week? When I come to the end of my day and I look back to the beginning of my day and I look at those private devotions that I he held and the word that I read there, when I come to the end of the, my day and I'm laying on my bed at night and I look back and I say, in my day have I applied that word throughout my day? Am I bearing fruit according to the word of God? 
listen, I know, it's true. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We aren't saved by our works. But then there's verse 10 there in Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Life saved by grace through faith is saved by grace through faith unto works. Second, Jesus is telling us to be sowers of the word. Rely upon the word. Trust the word. Preach the word. Disciple your kids with the word. Evangelize with the word. Counsel with the word. As you're doing men and women's ministry, do it with the word. When you're teaching children down in the West Wing down there, you do it with the word. He works by his word. Be a word-centered people. And our ministry is only ministry as it is word-centered. That's how the king has chosen to work his kingdom in this world, by the word, the trust in the word. Finally, recognize that not all will receive the word, but some will. both encouraging and discouraging, I think. It's the same word in the parable. It's the same sower in the parable. But there are different responses. That's a good encouragement, at least for me, because it reminds me that this work is not mine. In one very real sense, the success of Kingdom work is not mine. I keep a, a note by my desk at home in my study at home where I often am putting together outlines for sermons and it reads this. It says, Jason, you are responsible for faithfulness and effectiveness. God is responsible for the success. I'm not responsible for the fruitfulness success. He is. I'm responsible for faithfulness. I have to preach this word. He chooses to work by this word. So as I stand here in the pulpit is ministry by the word. That is faithfulness. I need to pray over this word. And I need to seek to minister this word to you. And that goes to effectiveness. I'm not only re required to be faithful, I'm required to be effective. So I need to think through how to minister this word to you. To the people that are gathered here on Sunday mornings, your hearts, your minds, your lives. How do I reach them with the truth of this word in an effective way? How do I present this text? How do I illustrate this text? How do I apply this text to the people that are here? Responsible for faithfulness and effectiveness. But then I got to step back. Fruitfulness, the success is his work. That's up to him. 
and what He accomplishes in your minds and your hearts and your souls. And so it is with you as you minister the Word to your children. You're not going to do it perfectly. You're scattering the seed. You seek to do so faithfully. You seek as much as you can effectively and then you leave the success, the fruitfulness to Him. You do this as you evangelize your co-workers and your neighbors and people in the community. You do this as you disciple and as you counsel and as you minister. You just sow the word. You seek to be faithful and you seek to be effective. But the success is his. And necessarily so because it gives him the glory. If there is any fruit, there's no boast. He did it. This is wonderfully encouraging. You can trust in this word because he works by this word. You'll see as we go on in the Gospel of Matthew here, Matthew chapter 13, that his kingdom is like a mustard seed that spreads out throughout the entire world. Christ accomplishes his purposes. His kingdom will will be done. You just attend to the word in your own heart and in your ministry to others. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word. Oh, what a gift from heaven. We pray that you would take it and you would sow it deeply in our hearts. Where there are cold hearts of stone this morning, we pray that you would make them fertile soil for your word. Where we have listened casually, not tended to the garden of our hearts, would you rebuke us? Would you challenge us? Would you exhort us? And would you encourage us? We pray that the word that is sown in our hearts would produce a harvest 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold for your glory and for your praise. For you are truly deserved. In Christ's name we pray.